You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We've been really kind of working our way through these last couple of months um, on a series on faith out of Hebrews chapter 11. And we've really been looking at some of the greatest examples of men and women who lived, who walked according uh, to faith in their relationship with God. And each individual, and I've kind of talked about this before, but I just want to highlight this again. The one thing all of these individuals have in common that we've looked at, the one we're going to look at today, the ones we're going to look at in the weeks to come, the one common denominator they all share is that they heard a word. They heard a promise. They received some kind of revelation from God. And they believed with their whole heart that what God spoke to them or what God showed them, that God was faithful to his word, that he was more than able to do all that he had promised despite difficult, adverse conditions uh, that may have surrounded some of these individuals. Remember that God promised uh, both Cain and Abel. These were brothers and their parents, Adam and Eve, said, you know what? If you'll come to me through the shed blood of an animal, your sins will be covered and you will be able to come back into uh, my presence. Now again, Abel believed exactly the word, the revelation that God had given them all and he was able to walk in faith and to have his sins forgiven and to have a relationship with God. Cain rejected that word. Same thing Abel heard. Cain chose to reject it, kind of chose to go his own way, do his own thing with God, and he's rejected. And that rejection, you remember, led to anger. And uh, he goes out into a field, and that anger manifests itself in the murder of his brother. Remember that God revealed, he gave a word. We find that in the New Testament there in the book of Jude, that at some point God gives a word to Enoch and says, you know what, wickedness and evil, it has prevailed so strongly upon the earth, I've got to do something. And so he says, I'm going to bring judgment against the world. And he says, you know, as a, as a sign, as a, a, a a witness, as a confirmation of that word, that promise. I'm going to give you a timeline. I'm going to give you a son, and you're going to name him Methuselah. And that name Methuselah meant that when he is done or when uh, after him it will come, he said, it's going to reference my judgment. And so we find that when Methuselah, who lived the longest, 969 years, uh, was the longest life recorded of any man, we know that right when Methuselah died, the flood came. So God had given Enoch, he said, a word, a promise of what he was going to do. And then he gave a confirmation of that through his son Methuselah. Remember God's word and promise to Noah. He says, I want you to build an ark because when Methuselah dies after him, it will come. The flood is going to come. And he said, I want you to build an ark. And God's promise to Noah was, I will save you and your family. We looked again at the several promises that God had given to Abraham. And that was that God would take him to a land that that would be an inheritance for him and for all of his descendants that would come forth from him. 
Remember we talked about God promising Abraham and Sarah a son of their own. Even though Abraham was 100 at the time, well beyond the ability to father a child. His wife's 90. She's barren, never been able to have a child. But God's promise overrode those adverse, those difficult, those impossible situations. We looked at God's promise to Isaac. That was the, the son that was given to Abraham and to Sarah. And we looked at uh, the promises to Jacob and to Joseph. And again, the whole point being, the one thing that they all have in common that we've looked at, that we're going to look at. Every one of them received a word. They had gotten a promise. They had received a revelation from God. And God told them, this is what I'm going to do. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As these men, these women heard God's promise, as they heard and saw the revelation that God had for them, it birthed faith. It developed faith in them. Faith comes as we hear and we respond in obedience to the word and promises of God, despite whatever your outward circumstances may say. God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his word, despite whatever may come your way. And God is more than able to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Amen? So this is what sets these men and women apart in Hebrews chapter 11. This morning we're going to look at another great example of faith, and that is the life of Moses. Now Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, says, by faith Moses. So now, right there, those three words tell you Moses heard something from God, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, the revelation of God. So by faith, something Moses heard from God, a promise, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king or the pharaoh's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for Moses was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as him, seeing who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who, was, uh, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them, meaning the Israelites. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So then seeing again that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, the promise, the revelation that comes from God, we know that Hebrews 11 mentions five separate occasions where Moses, or in one case his parents, received a word, revelation, regarding some divine guidance being given to them by God. Now, the first episode Hebrews 11 mentions is the birth of Moses. Now, again, if you're familiar with the background of this, you'll know that the nation of Israel is enslaved uh, to the nation of Egypt at this point. 
And despite all that the Egyptians are doing to oppress them, they just continue to multiply rapidly. The Egyptians kind of fear that if the nation of Israel gets too big and too strong, they're going to overpower them. They're going to turn the tables. They will become the slaves. The Israelites will become their masters. And so the Egyptians know that the Israelites are also kind of talking. They know the promises of God that were given to Abraham. They know those promises that they were going to be enslaved. But they also know at some point God is going to raise up a deliverer that's going to bring them out of that bondage. So one of the ways the Egyptians thought they could kind of keep control of the population and kind of keep the Israelites enslaved was to do away with any potential deliverer, and they did that by killing all of the male Hebrew babies. Now Exodus chapter 1 verse 15 kind of captures what was happening there, and it says, then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. He says, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The midwives replied, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are more vigorous and have babies so quickly that we cannot get in there in time. How's that? Yeah. In other words, they're just popping them out faster than we can get in there. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh, not wanting to be outdone here, gave this order to all his people, all the Egyptians. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So in response to this, Moses' parents, they uh, did everything they could to kind of keep Moses hidden, to keep him out of sight so that no Egyptian discovered him and tried to kill him. Now, what is interesting to me is I'm kind of looking at this. Hebrews 11.23 says that when Moses was born, his parents thought he was a beautiful child. Now, don't we all, I mean, there's not a parent in here that doesn't think your child, your baby is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. There's nothing unique about that, right? I mean, we all feel that way. So I, I thought it was kind of odd and kind of interesting that that was included in there. I mean, it's probably true. I can't argue that it's not. So I'm kind of thinking, why do they mention that. I mean, of all the things to kind of talk about, why do they mention that he was such a beautiful child? Now, again, that word there in the Greek, it kind of means, you know, unusual beauty. I mean, he was exceptionally handsome is kind of the idea the Greek gives you there in Hebrews 11.23. Now, now, again, don't misunderstand what, what is being said here. Moses' parents, they didn't do everything that they did because he was so beautiful, you know, God forbid, if Moses was ugly, they would have thrown him in the Nile. That's not the point. 
They did what they did out of obedience to the revelation. That's what you just got to get your heart around this in, in Hebrews 11. Everything that they're doing in, in this, it is out of response and obedience to the word, the revelation, the insight, the divine wisdom that God has given them regarding the destiny and future of Moses. It wasn't because he was a beautiful child. Now, Again, it is by faith that the parents of Moses uh, kind of acted upon this, and this alone guided their conduct. So again, it comes back to, if you want to develop faith, how does faith come? How does faith grow? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word, the promise, the revelation of God. So this tells me Moses' parents, this is so important, and I'm going to get to why I think they included this phrase, beautiful child, in here. Because I think there's a point here. This tells me Moses' parents must have received some kind of divine revelation. Now, it's not recorded anywhere in the Old Testament. And this revelation, this insight, this wisdom from high, that this divine uh, word that God gave to them... Um, this is what formed their confidence. This was the foundation. This is what supplied them the motivation to do all that they did in concealing, in hiding, and then eventually sending Moses away. Now, it's true they knew the prophecy given to Abram there in Genesis 15, 12, that there was going to come a period of enslavement. There would also come a time where God would lead them out. They're aware of that. They are aware of... Um, the uh, prediction of Joseph that was given there in Genesis uh, 50, 24, that God was going to lead them out of Egypt. We've talked about that uh, in the past. Now, again, the interesting thing to me is that Hebrews eleven twenty three refers to something more definite and specific. Now, I'm convinced 11, Hebrews eleven twenty three includes this reference to Moses' beautiful appearance as a baby. I believe that was given to them as a confirmation to Moses' parents that he was going to be the promised deliverer. So I, I think God gave them some divine insight. I think God gave them revelation. You're going to have a son, and this son is going to be the deliverer of Israel. That's a huge promise. I mean, these people have been enslaved for hundreds of years. Okay, all of a sudden now, they're not just getting word that God's going to lead them out. God is actually getting ready to have the very one who's going to deliver them about to be born. And this is such a huge promise. You almost just got to get yourself in their shoes. They're, they're eager. I mean, they're beyond eager for a deliverer. Now all of a sudden God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you the deliverer. And just so you know that the revelation I'm giving you is from me, I'm going to give you a confirmation of my word. And so I think along with this, I think God gives them, I'm going to, I'm going to have this baby possess some very, very um, unique, beautiful 
features as a confirmation to you, to your husband, to others, that this is the deliverer. And so I don't know if it was just, you know, it was dimples. I don't know if it was high cheekbones. I mean, I, I don't know. But I just feel like God said, I want you to look for these particular features. And I think when that baby was born, they looked at, they looked at him and said, it's all there. Not only do we have God's word, we've got a confirmation I mean, it's kind of what, what God did with Enoch. I'm giving you the word, Methuselah is the confirmation. And so I think that for me, that is why there's just something about this baby's appearance that they and others would recognize. They would look at this baby and say, man, there's something divine about him. There, there's something supernatural about him. There is something about this baby that sets him apart from any other Hebrew male baby that has been born. Now, in case you think I'm just being kind of nitpicky here, I think it is interesting and actually chapter 7, in the midst of Stephen, who is addressing the religious council. In verse 20, he even makes this observation regarding Moses. He said, at that time, in verse 20, at that time Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. I mean, this is something that I think was talked about. I think this is something that is passed down through the generations. Do you know about that baby Moses? Oh, they, they got a word that he was going to be the deliverer, and then God gave them a confirmation of that word, and that that, that baby, they, they, it was, he was a beautiful baby. So Moses is recognized not just by his parents, but by others. There is something remarkably distinguishing and outstanding about him, something of a divine token, an assurance that this Baby, you are looking in the face of your deliverer. And that's why I think that phrase is kind of tucked in there in Hebrews 11.23. Again, their faith didn't rest on Moses' beauty. Their faith rested upon the revelation, the promise, the word God gave them. I am sending forth the deliverer. And it is going to be this particular child and Moses physical beauty was again a confirmation of God's revelation. Now why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this because some of you have got big promises from God. Amen. Big promises from God, right? Some of you are looking for confirmation. And it's biblical. There are times where God's going to give you a revelation, he's going to give you a promise, he's going to give you a word, and it's going to be so huge, you're going to be tempted to think, I'm daydreaming. I, I, I'm kind of, I, my imagination is just running wild. My imagination is just, just out of control on this one. I mean, this isn't God, this is me. Sometimes God's promises can be so big that God's going to say, not only am I going to give you the promise, I'm going to give you a confirmation. I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a witness that what I'm saying is exactly what I'm going to do. And I think this is what happened in this case here. I think the promise was so big to Moses, mom and dad. I think the temptation there may have been, yeah, every every. Every Hebrew parent probably thinks their kid's the deliverer. I mean, they talked about it probably multiple times. Maybe there were children that came and they thought, this is the one, this is the one, and it wasn't. 
And so they're looking for some kind of a confirmation, a sign from God. And God says, here, I'll give it to you. There's just going to be something extraordinarily beautiful about this baby. So much so that, that everybody remarked about the beauty of that baby. It was just like God said it would be, is what, what they're almost saying there. So, so I, I think that that's really important, especially for those of you, again, who really are trusting God for some big, big stuff. And you're tempted to think, man, that's just, that's just my imagination. That's just, you know, my visions of grandeur. Whatever you're calling that right now, God is saying, no, 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 no. I've given you a promise. And it's okay to say to God, God, can you give me confirmation? Prayed for confirmation for somebody last week who just feels like God's given them a big promise, a big vision. And they're just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for confirmation. It's biblical. It's okay. So the, that's the first occasion, um, Hebrews 11, uh, pertaining to Moses. I'm going to kind of skip the next two, and I'm going to go to the fourth one mentioned there in verse 28. It was by faith, again, something that was heard, something, a vision, a word, a revelation that God gave, that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. Now, what this verse is referring to there is something that happens uh, in the midst of Pharaoh or uh, Moses' negotiation with Pharaoh in releasing the nation of Israel. Now up to this point, if you are familiar with the story, you know there are nine plagues that have kind of been building up and they get to this last plague that is about to be released by God toward the nation of Egypt. All in an attempt, God is trying to prove to Pharaoh, he's trying to soften his heart and, and to let the Israelites go free. Now the tenth and the final plague is talked about in Exodus 11, beginning in verse 4. And there it says, Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Now again, he's, he's giving, this is the word, this is the revelation I'm, I'm getting from God. My faith now is exercising itself in that I'm telling you this is what God's going to do. So again, this is faith manifesting in Moses. He hears it, and now he is going to give it exactly the way he received it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or ever will hear again. But among the Israelites, now get this, this is cool, but among the Israelites it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. So this is that final plague that is going to be released against Egypt, but God's promise to the nation of Israel is, it's not going to touch you. As a matter of fact, you people are going to be so at peace that your dogs won't even be barking. Then in Exodus chapter 12, this is where God again gives more divine revelation to Moses, and this is kind of what Hebrews 11.28 is referring to, beginning there in verse 1. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. 
announced to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread without making, uh, made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. And he says, these are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals, carry your walking stick in your hand, eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son, firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord." But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So right there, and this is what Hebrews 11.28, it's lifting up. By faith, Moses, he received this revelation, this promise, this divine insight from God. Regarding the nation of Israel, he says, here's specifically how to be protected from the angel of death as it comes through the nation of Egypt. And again, what follows in Exodus 12, if you continue to read that chapter out, God institutes the celebration of Passover, which the Israelites were commanded to observe on an annual basis. And it was a way of remembering all that God had done to free them from slavery uh, there in Egypt. We've done the Passover meal here several several times at praise, uh, and if you've ever participated in one, you know they are just so full of significance and meaning. So as the Israelites do what God has instructed them to do, when the angel of death would come through, and if he saw the blood on the doorpost of the house, then that angel of death would pass over. He would just go on by, and every firstborn person dwelling in there was safe. The firstborn of the Egyptians or uh, any Jewish person who did not obey Moses' instructions, when the angel of death came by, they were struck dead. So again, all these instructions that Moses receives and implemented, again, it is a manifestation of his faith. This is, this is walking in faith. This is what Hebrews is commending. This is what it's calling us to do as well. Let me just take a few moments here, and I want to just explain some of the actions that were taken here in the Passover. 
and how much this event really was a foreshadowing or kind of a type of what we find in the New Testament. Now, by the word type, I mean um, a person or thing, as in the Old Testament, believed to foreshadow or to represent another person or thing in the New Testament. That's what a type is. And you'll notice the first thing the Israelites needed to do was to find a lamb or a goat for a sacrifice. And you'll see that in verse 5, it gives some very, very specific details regarding the animal. It says, the animal you select must be a one-year-old male with no defects. In other words, that lamb had to be spotless. It had to be perfect without blemish. Now, this Old Testament sheep is a type of, of the New Testament Messiah, Jesus. Remember on two occasions in John's gospel, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he exclaims, behold the Lamb of God in reference to Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. So John is recognizing here is the Lamb of God. He is the one who's going to function for us the way the lamb functioned for Israel in the Passover there in the Old Testament. How does Jesus take away the sin of the world? He was uh, sacrificed, crucified on the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb. There's that reference. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. Remember also the animal had to be inspected to make sure it was free of defects or blemishes. Jesus' public ministry of three and a half years gave everyone who knew Jesus, who interacted with Jesus, enough time to inspect him, to look at him, to study him, to make sure that this lamb of God, this Passover lamb, that he was free from any defects, blemishes, or sin. Because only someone who was perfect, without sin, without defect, could offer themselves as a perfect sacrifice. So Jesus was tested, he was tried, he was tempted many times. And the Bible says never once did he yield or commit sin. The devil tested and tempted Jesus in the desert as Jesus fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, just one example, and Jesus withstood that temptation uh, and, and gained victory over the devil. Hebrews 4.15, it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This is what qualified him to be our Passover lamb. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, God, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us. And that's what the lamb was in the Old Testament. The people would, would, would basically transmit, they would, they would put their sin upon the animal that was to be sacrificed. And that's what Jesus did. The one who knew no sin took our sin upon himself that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So again, as they did in the Old Testament, as they thoroughly inspected that lamb, he's got to be perfect, no spot, no blemish. So Jesus was thoroughly inspected and found to be the perfect sacrifice, perfect Passover lamb, one without blemish or sin. Another type can be found in the application of the blood upon the doorposts. The Israelites back then, they were commanded to sacrifice the animal 
And they would do it right at the threshold of the entryway in, into, into the home. The main entrance of the home, they would kind of, there would be like a, a, um, a, a trench. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Who gave me that word? Thank you. Trench. And it was a way so when it rained that the water would kind of flow in there. So they were commanded to sacrifice the animal at, the, at, at this trench. And so they would sacrifice there. The blood would kind of flow in there. Then they would take like a hyssop branch and they would just kind of begin to apply that to uh, the areas uh, on the uh, two sides and the top posts of the door frame. So essentially you would have blood in four places. There in the trench, on the two sides, and above the top of the doorway. And so this is a type of the cross. Uh, I tried to demonstrate that there. This is a type, this is foreshadowing the cross of Christ um, that he would come to bear and be crucified upon. The blood at the bottom threshold of the door represented the blood shed as the nails were driven into his feet. The blood at the top of the doorpost represented the blood that was shed as the crown of thorns were pressed upon his head. The blood on the sides of the door represented the blood uh, that was shed as Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross. So uh, again, what the Israelites were doing, clear back there in, in Exodus 12, it wasn't just pertaining speaking to them in that present time. It was a type. It was foreshadowing. It was speaking to something that would come into play many, 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 many generations later in what Jesus Christ would do through his death upon the cross. And just as when the angel of death would come there in Exodus and would just pass over um, the those who applied the blood of the Lamb to their homes, just as Moses said, we who apply the blood of Jesus to ourselves do you realize God's judgment has passed over us? Man, that, that uh, again, it, it's a beautiful picture. We see further symbolism in the words of Jesus when he said in John 10, 9, I'm the door. And, you know, he's kind of that, that trench there. I, I'm the door. He said, if anybody passes or enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The Israelites went into their home through that blood-covered door on that first Passover night, and they found safety. They were protected. They were redeemed by the sacrificial blood. They were able to go out the next morning, and they were able to begin their journey to the promised land. They were free. They were on their way to the good pasture, so to speak. We who are redeemed by the true Passover lamb. Again, we find safety from God's judgment. We're free from condemnation. And because of Jesus, we too can look forward to a future eternal dwelling place in the very presence of Almighty God. It is also interesting to me that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, communion. And he does that right in the middle of the Passover celebration he shared with his disciples just moments before he's about to be arrested and, and going uh, to be crucified on the cross. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14, it says this, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For now I tell you that I won't eat this meal again until it finds its, uh, its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I will 
not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper he took another cup of wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Again, I just find that striking that Jesus institutes this right in the middle of this Passover celebration with he and his disciples. And Jesus said, I will never eat or I'll never drink from this again until we share it again in the new kingdom to come. There's so much symbolism found there in, in what God commanded Moses to institute there in Exodus 12. I mean, I, I, could, I could go on and, and give you several more uh, types and foreshadowings of, of what uh, God was trying to communicate, not just to Moses, but what God was setting up that generations would experience. And it wasn't just for the Israelites of that time, but that it would be for every generation that followed there are some acts of faith, and, and you'll, you'll see this in others as well. There are just some acts of faith that reverberate through time. Amen? This is one of those acts of faith. Man, I mean, it, it was monumental then, and it just created a tsunami ripple effect that continues to reach even to us here today. What Moses did there by faith in response to God's command, was a blessing to God's people then and reaches to us here and now. Today, as we just celebrated together in communion, we were once again participating in that one act of faith that Moses began and kind of unleashed there in Exodus 12 and then again is mentioned there in Hebrews 11, 28. This is, the last, this is the lasting, enduring power of faith. This is why it is so important. And we've kind of been talking this morning about um, the, uh, faith. And we've got these books. And, and the wonderful thing about this is uh, we've gone through probably a couple hundred of these books Every time we get them in, you guys buy them out. Um, and so we've got more in this morning, $2. These are the promises of God. And again, it is impossible. You, you will not get faith and you will not increase until your faith is in a word or a promise from God. So this little book here, if you do not have, if your life is, does not have a promise from God this morning, and that promise of God, it is going to pertain to a need in your life this morning. So if you're here this morning and you have like a financial need, God has a promise in his word to meet that financial need. If you're here this morning and you've got a physical need, sickness, disease, there is a promise in uh, the, the word of God that he has given you pertaining to that sickness and disease. So as we receive that promise as our own, as we stand on that, what happens is you are building faith. That's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so this book has taken 199 promises 
and we're making these again available. If you can afford the $2 for the book, great. If you can't, just take it. It's our gift to you. Some of you give more than $2 to cover uh, for those that can't afford it. We, we appreciate that. Uh, and so again, we just want to make you know that that is available here this morning. What I want to do, I'm just going to invite the worship team to come back up here this morning. And what I want to do is I, I want to just pray for those of you this morning. I felt like God kind of just laid this on my heart um, this week. To just really pray for those of you that you would say to yourself, you know, in all honesty here this morning, I have no promise from God. I, I want a promise from God, but I, I just don't have one. And so I just want to ask this morning that I'm going to pray for those of you this morning that, that do not have a, a specific promise from God. And I'm going to ask that either right now this morning or sometime this week that God is going to drop a promise into your heart this morning or, or sometime this week. And it's going to be a promise that is going to pertain to, it's not going to be something that, you know, doesn't pertain to anything going on in your life. It is going to correlate, it is going to correspond to a need that you have, a hope that you have in your heart. It could, be, it could be a promise for finances. It could be a promise for your health. It could be a promise for relationships. I mean, I mean it could be anything that really, um, right now, you would, you would say to yourself, I, I have this huge burden. I have this huge need. And, and I want God to drop a promise, his promise, right alongside that huge need, uh, that huge burden that maybe you're carrying uh, here this morning. So I'm just going to ask, let's just go ahead and I'll stand here this morning. And I'm just going to ask if you would just, uh, just close your eyes um, this morning just out of reverence. Father, I would just ask right now, Lord, that... Uh, if there are any here this morning, and God, as we talk again about faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and Lord, that there's just people here this morning that maybe as they've been kind of going through this series with us, that maybe there's just a barrenness inside of them spiritually, that there really is no promise that, God, they, they hear these stories, they understand what we're talking about, but they would look inside and say, I really don't have any specific promise of God pertaining to any need or area of my life. And so, Father, this morning, I would just ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would just begin to drop a promise from your word, that God, you would begin to uh, instill faith in them by just helping them to receive your word, your promise, your revelation regarding a burden, a need, a desire uh, in their heart this morning. God, something that's going to correspond to something in their life. And so, Father, I just ask this morning, and I'm just going to ask as uh, every eye is closed, if you are here this morning, and you do not have a promise from God in any area of your life this morning, I just simply want you to just lift your hand up. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. You're just here this morning to say, I do not have a specific promise from God, and I, and I want one this morning. So I want you to, okay, Father, you see those hands. And right now, Father, I would just ask, Lord, that you would just begin to, to release the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place.
That, God, you would begin right now, God, even this morning into this week, that, God, you would just begin to just drop promises into the hearts of the people whose hands are raised in here this morning. And God, I know, Lord, they're looking for a promise that corresponds, that speaks to a specific need in their life. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak loudly, that you would speak clearly, that God, you would, would, would give them confirmation just as you did Enoch, just as you did Moses' parents, God, that there would not just be a promise, there would be a confirmation, a witness, a testimony, God, that what you have promised them is not just fancy thinking, it's not grandiose vision, it is a word, a revelation from the throne of God, and Lord, you're going to provide a confirmation that not only is your word true, but you are going to do that which you have promised them. So Father, we thank you right now, Lord, we just ask again for that spirit of wisdom, of revelation to be released in this place. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that your promises would just go forth now into open, uh, waiting, hungry hearts. And we just thank you for your power, your presence here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.